Matthew 24, verses 32 through 35 is where we're going to start tonight. Hopefully, Lord willing, we'll get all the way to the end of verse 44. Let's do 32 through 35 first. From the fig tree, Jesus said, learn its lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also, when you see all these things, you know that he is near at the very gates. Truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these, take pla- these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. The question that we're going to deal with for a little bit tonight is this. What generation is Jesus referring to here in these verses? It can't be the generation that heard him speak, because many of the things spoken of in chapter 24 haven't happened yet. You remember how we've already been looking at the tribulation period in Matthew 24, and how there's going to be the Antichrist, and wars, and rumors of wars, and plagues, and earthquakes in various places, and then the Antichrist stepping into the wing of the temple, declaring himself to be God, the Jews being chased into the wilderness, and then as you know we saw how there was going to be the sun go dark, and the moon turn to blood, and the stars are going to fall from the sky. That, those things haven't happened yet. Yeah, so what generation was he talking about then when he says this generation will not pass away until all these things have been fulfilled? Now, let me just say to you that there, there are those that teach, there are Christians that actually teach that this all happened. Matthew 24 all happened in A.D. 70. But like I just talked about, when did the sky go dark and roll? Exactly. When, when did that happen in A.D. 70? It didn't. So could Jesus just be speaking of the generation that sees the signs of his coming? Remember, the disciples came and said, what are the signs of your coming and the end of the age? And he begins to describe the tribulation period, that seven year period right before he comes. Uh, Could he be speaking of the generation that sees the beginning of the signs of his coming? Well, for sure, because how long is that period going to be? Three years, two and a half years. Nope. Close. Double that. Seven years. It's going to be seven years. The tribulation period is going to be a seven-year period. So definitely the generation that sees the signs of His coming are, is going to be the ones that see all that. But there's also a possible clue here in the fact that Jesus says, learn the lesson from the fig tree, or from the fig tree, learn the lesson. Remember, Jesus has already cursed the fig tree and it withered. Go back to Matthew chapter 21. Back when we studied Matthew 21, we looked at Jesus cursing the fig tree, just verses 18 and 19 of Matthew 21. It says, In the morning as he was returning to the city, he became hungry, and seeing a fig tree by the wayside, he went to it, and he found nothing on it but only leaves. And he said to it, May no fruit ever come from you again. And the fig tree withered at once. Now, you know from our study of this, Jesus wasn't impetuous. He didn't just have a fit of rage where he just cursed the fig tree. We looked before when we did the full study that if a fig tree put out leaves, even though it wasn't the season, if it put out leaves, it was supposed to produce fruit. And here we talked about the fact that the fig tree in the Old Testament, we've looked at the prophecies already, is a picture or a picture of Israel. And so when he cursed the fig tree, although they were pretending to produce fruit or respond, they weren't going to when he knew. And so he's already cursed the fig tree. But now he says, from the fig tree, learn its lesson. When its leaves come out, you'll know that summer's near even at the door. And then he goes on and says, the generation that sees these things will not pass away until all these things have been fulfilled. Now, Jesus also, if you remember, prophesied the destruction of the temple and the burning of the city of Jerusalem for Israel's rejection of their Messiah. Look at chapter 22 again in verses 1 through 7. In Matthew 22, verses 1 through 7, he says again, Jesus spoke to them in parables, saying, 
The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son and sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast, but they would not come. Again, he sent other servants saying, tell those who are invited, see, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and fat calves have been slaughtered and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. But they paid no attention and went off, one to his farm, another to his business, while the rest seized his servants, treated them shamefully, and killed them. The king was angry, and he sent his troops and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Jump over to chapter 23. Look at verses 34 through 38. <clears throat> Jesus says to them, Therefore I send you prophets and wise men and scribes, some of whom you will kill and crucify, and some you will flog in your synagogues and persecute from town to town. So that on you may come all the righteous blood shed on earth, from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the sanctuary and the altar. Truly I say to you, all these things will come upon this generation. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing. Look at verse 38. See, your house is left to you desolate. So again, we've already looked at all this. Jesus had cursed the fig tree and he's as a picture of their destruction and the putting away, if you will, of Israel for a time. We've looked at Romans 11, how Israel's experienced the hardening in part until the full number of the Gentiles has come in. We've looked at how the prophecies, Jesus himself said that he's going to remove the Israel from their land and give the vineyard to another, those who will produce the fruit, which is the church during the church age. We've looked at how he said to them, your, uh, your temple's going to be left desolate. I'm going to burn your city. We know that the prophecies are very clear that because of the rejection of the Messiah, Israel was going to experience a, a, a harsh judgment because of it. But Jesus says something else where we just left off in chapter 23 of Matthew. Look at verse 39. In verse 39 of chapter 23, he says, For I tell you, you will not see me again. Until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So now, wait a minute, put this all together. Let this sink in for a minute. Jesus has cursed the fig tree, which is a picture of Israel. He said, a judgment is coming on you. Your temple's going to be destroyed. Not one stone's going to be left on top of another. You're gonna, it's going to be left to you desolate. There's going to be a judgment. I'm going to burn your city. Yet, you'll see me again. Now, remember, when Jesus said, you won't see me again until blessed is he who comes in, and say, until you say blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. He said those words after the triumphal entry had already happened. They had already had the triumphal entry where they praised him and said, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Now, a few days later, he says to them, you won't see me again until you say it for real this time. What I want you to do is go with me to the book of Jeremiah. I'm only going to walk you through just a few but the Old Testament prophecies also told of a harsh judgment on Israel. But the prophecies also said that they would not be totally destroyed. Go to Jeremiah 30. Jeremiah chapter 30. Look at verses 1 through 7. In Jeremiah chapter 30, verses 1 and following, the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, write in a book all the words that I have spoken to you. 
For behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will keep this in mind. It's going to be important later on. When I will restore the fortunes of my people Israel and Judah, says the Lord, and I will bring them back to the land that I gave to their fathers, and they shall take possession of it. Now these are the words that the Lord spoke concerning Israel and Judah. Thus says the Lord, we have heard a cry of panic, of terror and no peace. Ask now and see, can a man bear a child? Why then do I see every man with his hands on his stomach like a woman in labor? Why has every face turned pale? Alas, that day is so great, there is none like it. It is a time of distress for Jacob, yet he shall be saved out of it. So here we see that the prophecy, picturing the tribulation period, remember we've already done the study about the birth pains. There's going to be a time that the prophecies say that Israel is going to be in the land, and they're going to go through a time of distress, yet they shall be saved out of it. Keep reading chapter 30, verse 8. And it shall come to pass in that day, declares the Lord of hosts, that I will break his yoke from off your neck, and I'll burst your bonds, and foreigners shall no more make a servant of him. But they shall serve the Lord their God and David their king, whom I will raise up for them. Then fear not, O Jacob, my servant, declares the Lord, nor be dismayed, O Israel, for behold, I will save you from far away and your offspring from the land of their captivity. Jacob, which as you know is Israel, shall return and have quiet and ease, and none shall make him afraid. Now before I go any further in this prophecy, let me stop and real quick and ask you a question. Is this prophecy being fulfilled right now with Israel back in the land? Good answer. The answer is no. They're all back in the land. Well, not all. Actually, if you know, there are Jews still all over the globe. You ever been to Miami? In New York? I was in New Jersey. There's Jews still all over the globe. And also, yes, the nation of Israel became a nation again in 1948. But are they living at ease with no one making them afraid? No, not at all. Listen closely to what I want you to hear. A lot of prophecy people love to take these verses and say, look at what God's done in 1948 and how the nation became an Israel. I'm sorry, became a, the nation of Israel became a nation again. And that's the fulfillment of the prophecies, how he's going to regather them in the last days. Be careful. If you look at the prophecies and you're going to see some more tonight, they all talk of a time period at the end of the tribulation period after that time of judgment when he's going to bring them back in and they're going to worship him as their God. No one's going to make them afraid anymore and it's going to be a wonderful time, not what Israel is experiencing. But don't also miss the fact that not what happened in 1948 is awesome. Because the Old Testament prophecies talked about the fact that in order for Jesus to come back to Israel, Israel would have to be in the land at that time for the Antichrist to take, chase them out of it. There's going to be a rebuilding of the temple. I don't know if it's going to happen before the church is raptured or after the church is raptured, but there's going to be a rebuilding of the temple because Jesus himself said there would be, and the Antichrist is going to step into it. So keep in mind that in order for the final last day prophecies to be fulfilled, what happened in 1948 had to happen. Israel had to become a nation again. And that's a great thing. But don't think that the prophecies of the last days are all been fulfilled because Israel's a nation again. No, they're going to be chased out again, remember? And those who survive are going to be the ones who worship the Lord. So go back now to chapter 30 and look at verse uh, 11. For I, chapter 30, verse 11. For I am with you to save you, declares the Lord. I will make a full end of all the nations among whom I scattered you, but of you I will not make a full end. Oh, I will discipline you in just measure, and I will by no means leave you unpunished. 
Jump down to verse 15. Why do you cry over your hurt? Your pain is incurable. Because your guilt is great. Because your sins are flagrant. I have done these things to you. Therefore, all who devour you shall be devoured. All your foes, every one of them, shall go into captivity. Those who plunder you shall be plundered. And all who prey on you, I will make a prey. For I will restore health to you, and your wounds I will heal, declares the Lord, because they have called you an outcast. It is Zion for whom no one cares. Thus says the Lord, Behold, you'll see it again, I will restore the fortunes of the, of the tents of Jacob and have compassion on his dwellings. The city shall be rebuilt on its mound, and the palace shall stand where it used to be. Out of them shall come songs of thanksgiving and the voices of those who celebrate. I will multiply them and they shall not be few. I'll make them honored and they shall not be small. Their children shall be as they were of old and their congregation shall be established before me. And I will punish all who oppress them. Their prince shall be one of themselves. Their ruler shall come out from their midst. I will make him draw near and he shall approach me. For who would dare of himself to approach me, declares the Lord. And you shall be my people and I will be your God. Behold, the storm of the Lord. Wrath has gone forth, a whirling tempest. It will burst upon the head of the wicked. The fierce anger of the Lord will not turn back until he has executed and accomplished the intentions of his mind. In the latter days, you will understand this. Jump over to chapter 31. Look at verses 1 through 14. You see prophecy language again. At that time, declares the Lord, I will be the God of all the clans of Israel and they shall be my people. Thus says the Lord, the people who survived the sword found grace where? In the wilderness. Oh, when are they going to run out into the wilderness? During the midpoint of the tribulation for the last three and a half years, they're going to be protected there. Those who believe and run and listen to what Jesus said. Uh, they survived the sword They found grace in the wilderness. When Israel sought for rest, the Lord appeared to him from far away. I have loved you, God says, with an everlasting love. Therefore, I have continued my faithfulness to you. Again, I will build you and you shall be built, O virgin Israel. Again, you shall adorn yourself with tambourines and shall go forth in the dance of the merrymakers. Again, you shall plant vineyards on the mountains of Samaria and the planters shall plant and they shall enjoy the fruit. For there shall be a day when watchmen will call in the hill country of Ephraim. Arise and let us go up to Zion to the Lord our God. For thus says the Lord, sing aloud with gladness for Jacob and raise shouts for the chief of the nations. Proclaim, give praise and say, O Lord, save your people, the remnant of Israel. Don't miss that. Save your people, the remnant of Israel, those that are left. Behold, I'll bring them from the north country and gather them from the farthest parts of the earth. Among them, the blind and the lame and the pregnant woman and she who's in labor together. Great a great company, they shall return here. With weeping, they shall come. And with pleas for mercy, I will lead them back. Oh, wait a minute. What's Israel going to be doing when he leads them back? They're going to be pleading for what? Mercy. If Israel's pleading for mercy, they might, must be acknowledging their sin. You wouldn't plead for mercy unless you thought you needed mercy. This is a time when Israel's going to believe. I'll make them walk by brooks of water in a straight path in which they shall not stumble. For I am father to Israel and Ephraim is my firstborn. Now hear the word of the Lord, O nations, and declare it in the coastlands far away. Say, he who scattered Israel will gather him and will keep him as a shepherd keeps his flock. For the Lord has ransomed Jacob and redeemed him from hands too strong for him. They shall come and sing aloud on the height of Zion, and they shall be radiant over the goodness of the Lord, over the grain, the wine, and the oil, and over the young of the flock and the herd. 
Their life shall be like a watered garden and they shall languish no more. Then shall the young women rejoice in the dance and the young men and the old shall be merry. I will turn their mourning into joy. I will comfort them and give them gladness for sorrow. I will feast the soul of the priest with abundance and my people shall be satisfied with my goodness, declares the Lord. Jump over to verse 16. Thus says the Lord, keep your voice from weeping and your eyes from tears, for there is reward for your work, declares the Lord, and they shall come back from the land of the enemy. There is hope for your future, declares the Lord, and your children shall come back to their own country. I've heard Ephraim's grieving and, he, and they said, you've disciplined me and I was disciplined like an untrained calf. Bring me back that I may be restored for you are the Lord, my God. For after I had turned away, I relented. And after I was instructed, I struck my thigh. I was ashamed and I was confounded because I bore the disgrace of my youth. Is Ephraim your, my dear son? Is he my darling child? For as often as I speak against him, I do remember him still. Therefore, my heart yearns for him. I will surely have mercy on him, declares the Lord. Go to verses 35 through 37. Jeremiah 35, thus says the Lord, who gives the sun for light by day and the fixed order of the moon and the stars for light by night, who stirs up the sea so that its waves roar and the Lord of hosts is his name. If this fixed order departs from before me, declares the Lord, then shall the offspring of Israel cease from being a nation before me forever. Thus says the Lord, if the heavens can above can be measured and the foundations of the earth below can be explored, then I'll cast off the offspring of Israel for all that they have done declares the Lord. Now I could show you more and more, but I think you get the idea. The prophecies are very clear that God is going to bring a judgment, and He has on Israel, but there's another one coming when they're in the land where they're going to be scattered, and at the end of that, He's going to gather them from all over the globe, the remnant, those that survived the tribulation period, and they're going to repent, they're going to seek for His mercy, He's going to forgive them, He's going to put His Spirit within them, and the kingdom is going to begin. So let's go back to Matthew 24 then, and let's deal with this question. In Matthew 24, verse 32 through 35, Jesus said, From the fig tree, remember that's Israel, learn its lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also when you see all these things, you know that he is near at the very gates. Truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. So, when Jesus tells us to learn the lesson of the fig tree, could he be saying that the generation that sees Israel rebud as a nation is the generation that won't pass away until all these things have been fulfilled? Possibly. Possibly. Now, I have to caution you, because that's when we quickly want to pull our calculators out and start doing the math. All right, the nation of Israel rebutted in 1948. They weren't a nation for almost 2,000 years in the land, even though they continued to be a nation before God. The clock started in 1948, and, and that means we can do the math and how long it's going to be till Jesus comes back. Well, I'm going to caution you against that for lots of reasons. First off, it's been an embarrassment to the church, all the people over the years that have written all these books about proving how they know when Jesus is returning because they've done the math. I don't know how many of you remember 1988, the guy that wrote the book, 88 Reasons Why Christ Will Return in 1988. Does anybody remember that book? I remember being freaked out by it because in 1988, I actually was when I met my wife. We had just started dating in the summer of 1988. 
And I finally had a girl that was probably going to be willing to marry me. And the, the idea of Jesus coming back in 1988 scared me. I was like, but I'm about to get married. <laughs> We're coming up on 30 years now, though, that we've been married. We got married in 1990. Did Jesus come back in 1988? But you know why people thought that he came back and he was going to come back in 1988? Because they took what Jesus said about the fig tree rebutting and they started the clock. And there in their mind, a generation was 40 years. I mean, they got that from the Bible. Go to Psalm 95. Go to Psalm 95. And look at verse. Well, we'll just start in verse one. We'll read the whole Psalm. One verses, Psalm 95, one through 11. Psalm 95, starting in verse 1, it says, Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth. The heights of the mountains are his also. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as at Meribah, as in the day of Ma at Massa in the wilderness, when your fathers put me to the test and put me to the, pro put me to the proof, though they had seen my work. For 40 years, I loathed that generation and said, there are people who go astray in their heart, and they have not known my ways. Therefore, I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. So prophecy people took that verse and said, Jesus just showed us here that a generation is 40 years. Look closely. Does this verse say that a generation is 40 years? No, it just said he was angry with that generation for 40 years. It doesn't say that a generation is 40 years. Actually, go to Psalm 90. Look at Psalm 90, verse 10. But because Israel became a nation in 1948, someone did the math. 40 years from 1948 was 88, and they were sure Jesus was going to return then. Look at Psalm 90, verse 10. He says, the years of our life are 70, or even by reason of strength, 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble, and they are soon gone, and we fly away. Oh, so now you got 70, possibly 80 years. Well, let me ask you this question. If I live to be 120 years old, is my generation still around? We really don't know how long a generation is because a generation could be up to 120 years. That's how old some people are living. Go to Matthew chapter 1. Maybe we'll get a clue from Matthew chapter 1. I mean, we want to try to figure out, the, figure out the answer to this question. Matthew chapter 1, look at verse 17. It says, so all the generations... From Abraham to David were 14 generations. And from David to the deportation to Babylon were 14 generations. And from the deportation to Babylon to the Christ, 14 generations. Ah, okay, here we go. Now we can do a little math. We can do a little work here. We see it was 14 from this time period to that time period, 14 from that time period to that time period, and so on. If you are one of these people that are really into that kind of stuff, and I know people that do, you can go back and actually do the historical date setting and figure out how many years it was. By the way, when you do that, a generation adds up to about 50 point something years. Doesn't answer the question, does it? 50, no, five zero. 50 point something doesn't even really work. You know what the answer is? The answer is in Acts chapter 1. Go to Acts chapter 1. 
In Acts chapter 1, we'll start in verse 1. Luke writes, and he says to this guy Theophilus in the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. So Jesus taught for 40 days his, believer, his, his disciples about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he had said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Now, hang on. Don't read anymore. Put a finger in Acts 1 and go to Acts chapter 3. Remember that restoring we looked at in the Old Testament prophecies? Listen to what Peter's sermon is here in Acts chapter 3. He says in verse 17, look at verse 17. He says, and now brothers, talking to the Jews, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that is Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn back that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Peter said Jesus has gone to heaven until his time to restore all those things. So the disciples come, ask Jesus, are you going to restore the prophecies, are you going to restore Israel now? What does Jesus say? It's not for you to know. He said to them, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. Of course, we know then he says, and you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You're going to be my witnesses. Go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. First Thessalonians chapter 5, look at verses 1 and following. We'll come back to this passage a little later tonight. Paul writes to the church there in Thessalonica and he says, Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you, for you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. We're going to see that later on today in our passage in Matthew 24. While people are saying there's peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon who? Them. As labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you're not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. So we're going to come back to this passage later on, and we'll take a look at it in more detail later on. But as we go back to Matthew 24 and verses 32 through 35, is it a possibility that Jesus gave us a hint that the generation that sees 1948 won't pass away until all this has been fulfilled? Possibly. But don't. Try to do the math, because it's not for the church to know. Listen closely to what I'm about to say to you. I don't have the time. I wish I did. I would love to walk you through and show you all the places in the New Testament that shows that the church is to wait for who? To Jesus to come. Was the church taught to look for the Antichrist and wait for the Antichrist? No. no. This Matthew 24 teaching is, remember, it's not for the church. He's talking to the Jews. That's why Paul says, I'm not going to write to you about times and seasons. That's why if you go to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, there are all these people that were worried because some, supposedly some letter had been passed around, that they had missed the day of the Lord. And, 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 and he says, look, guys, that's not going to happen until the Antichrist comes and 
reveals himself and steps into the temple, declares himself to be God. But you know what's restraining him right now. And he talks about the rapture of the church and he who restrains until he's taken out of the way. The Holy Spirit's action through the church. You're going to see this tonight as we come to the end of our study. Very clearly that God's plan is that the church not be here when this time period happens. We're going to be taken out prior to that. It's not for us to try to figure out who's the Antichrist or when's this all going to happen. Because as you're going to see where we go in Matthew 24 tonight and kind of set the stage for when we come back together in three weeks. The scripture very clearly teaches that the issue isn't when he comes back, but what we're doing in the meantime. So the Jews came and said, what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? And he goes into great detail to say to them, watch for this, watch for that, watch for this, watch for that. The church was never taught that. The church wasn't taught to watch for all that stuff. We're taught to watch for Jesus to come and get us. And I'll talk about that as, as we close tonight. So is it a possibility that Jesus is saying in Matthew 24, verses 32 through 35, that the generation that sees Israel rebud won't pass away until all that's been fulfilled? Possibly. We could be really close. But don't say for a fact you know that that's what he's saying. And don't go down the road of trying to do the math of when it's going to happen. Go ahead. Isn't it also possible that that word generation, which I looked it up because mm -hmm. I wasn't sure, but it's also translated race. Yep. There's, there's a possibility. Some people think so, that he's just saying mankind won't die until all these things. The Jews. Right. All the Old Testament prophecies said the Definitely. Jews are going to be here. They're exactly. going to be around. Right. So whenever that occurs. The Jews will still exist. Right. That's a possibility. He could be just talking about the Jews. He could be just talking about mankind. He could also be talking about the generation that sees, we don't know. What I want you to hear is, don't get sucked into all these, we think it's going to happen now, it's going to happen next. I, I'll be honest with you, I used to get sucked into that stuff too. When I first started teaching and preaching the word, especially when I loved my love of prophecy, I used to try to figure it all out. I've stopped because that's not what we're to focus on. Go back to Matthew 24 and you'll actually notice that in our very next verse, 36. But concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark, and they were all unaware, until the flood came and swept them all away, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Then two men will be in the field, one will be taken and one left. Two women will be grinding at the mill, one will be taken and one left. Therefore stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. There's that thief. Therefore you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Now, who then is the faithful and the wise servant whom his master has set over his household? Oh, I'm going to stop there. We'll just end at verse 44. We'll come back in three weeks and deal with verse 45 and following. I'll touch on it a little bit tonight. Now, as we look at these verses concerning the coming of the Son of Man, we need to keep in mind that when Jesus is referring to the time of his coming, he's referring to the time period of his coming, the whole tribulation period, not just the day of his arrival. For years, that's given me a little bit of a bellyache because I've always read his coming as the actual 24 hour period, if you will, the day that he comes back to the earth. And it says that up until that day or that the coming of the Lord, people are going to be giving in marriage and every going on business as usual. And for years, I was like, how is that going to work? 
I mean, guys, you hopefully have done the study with me of Revelation and Ezekiel, and we've seen the study of how, what's going to be going on in the last three and a half years? I mean, actually, during the whole tribulation period itself, you're going to have all these people being killed. You're going to have a third of the rivers turning to blood, a third of the oceans turning to blood, and, and so on. And then by the second half, you've got demons tormenting people. You've got the sun scorching people. You've got people hiding in the rocks in the caves. The sun's going dark. The moon's turned to blood. The stars are falling from the sky. There are 100-pound hailstones and comets hitting the earth. I don't think anybody's going to be planning a wedding during that time. So whenever I read, they're going to be doing this right up to the coming of the Lord. I always read coming of the Lord as that time that he stepped on the earth. Actually, remember what Jesus was asked by his disciples? What will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? And he described the whole seven year period. So what he says is this. Right up until that time period begins, people are going to act like no big deal. Actually, as we already read tonight in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, they're all going to be saying peace and safety. By the way, isn't it interesting that right now in the Middle East, there's starting to be peace treaties with nations and Israel that we would have never, ever dreamed of? Oh, Betty, the stage is being set. Oh, don't get tempted to figure out when. It's not for us to know that. Our job is to be witnesses, to preach and to share the truth. And then we're not going to be here when that all happens. When they're all saying peace and safety, when they're all thinking everything's going to be okay now then sudden destruction is going to come upon them. And that's what he's talking about. When it talks about his coming, it's not the actual day that he steps on the earth. It's that time period. Now, that makes Revelation make a whole lot more sense. Revelation chapter 1, Jesus says, Behold, I come soon or quickly. And we've already studied that and looked at how that Greek word entaxe is where we get our, Greek, our English word tachometer. Tachometer doesn't measure time. It just measures how fast something's happening. So when Jesus says the time of his coming, when it begins, things are going to start to happen. That's why when I teach it chronologically, it's hard because some things are all happening at the same time. But, buddy, when the tribulation period begins and the Antichrist comes on the scene, makes the covenant, confirms the covenant with Israel and everybody's thinking everything's OK. Things are going to start to happen very rapidly on the earth. And when they're all making their plans and act like everything's OK, then all of a sudden, sudden judgment is going to come on them. Now, this is why some people have tried to make the taken and left illustrations refer to the rapture of the church. But I want you to go with me to Luke's parallel account in Luke 17. I think Luke's parallel account makes very clear that this whole conversation about the time of his coming is dealing with the time of judgment. In Luke chapter 17, we'll start in verse 22. Jesus is speaking to the Jews and he says that he said to his disciples, the days are coming when you will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man and you'll not see it. And they'll say to you, look there or look here. Do not go out or follow them. For as the lightning flashes and the lights lights up the sky from one side to the other, so will the Son of Man be in his day. But first he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. Just as it was in the days of Noah, so will it be in the days of the Son of Man. They were eating and drinking and marrying and being given in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, just as it was in the days of Lot, they were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. But on the day when Lot went out from Sodom, the fire and the sulfur rained from heaven and destroyed them all. 
so will it be on the day when the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, let the one who's in his house, on, his, on the housetop with his goods in the house not come down to take them away. And likewise, let the one who's in the field not turn back. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life will keep it. I tell you, in that night, there'll be two in one bed. One will be taken, the other will be left. There'll be two women grinding together. One will be taken and the other left. And they said to him, where, Lord? He said to them, where the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. Now, I want to pull out a couple of things from Luke's parallel account. One, the whole context is judgment. And the disciples, when he just finished saying one will be taken and the other left, their question was, where are they going to be taken? And what's his answer? Where the dead bodies are, that's where the vultures gather. In other words, they're going to be taken for judgment. Also, keep this in mind. When the judgment came on the whole world in the day of Noah, didn't God spare the righteous when the judgment came on the whole earth? Oh, also, you also see in the time of Lot, right before the judgment came on Sodom and Gomorrah, he removed the righteous. That day, that time period of Jesus' coming is the tribulation period. That's the time of his coming. It's going to take a seven-year period, but so much is going to be happening during it. It's going to go like light. By the way, has anybody noticed as much as we've really hated 2020, it's gone fast? It's gone rapidly. If you're alive, and thank God most everybody in this room hopefully won't be, if you're alive at that time during the tribulation period, those seven years are going to go like lightning, man, because so much is going to be going on. They won't be sitting around saying, boy, time is dragging. Now, what I want you to look at, though, is this. He talks about the thief in the night. The next verse is about the thief in the night preps Jesus' hearers for what Jesus is about to cover in his next part of his teaching. Jesus has been saying that many will be unaware of the fact that a judgment is coming and swept away in judgment. But we're not to be like that because we're watching and we are to be prepared for his coming. Go back to Matthew 24, and I'm going to give you a little picture of what we're going to get to um, when we come back together in three weeks after my knee surgery. In verse 45, he talks about the faithful and wise servant, and then he tells a, a parable about a servant who thought his master wasn't going to come back for a while. So he doesn't take it serious that he's coming back, and he gets drunk, treats everybody bad, and the master came back quicker than that guy thought. But then Jesus, knowing full well who we are and how we try to figure out, read in between the lines of what he was saying, you can see the disciples going, that means he's going to be coming back quick. And what does Jesus do in the next parable? The parable, chapter 25, verse 1, the parable of the ten virgins, you know it. He tells that it may be longer than some people think. And the ones who are prepared for the long haul are the ones that are going to be going into the kingdom. And then he goes to the parable of the talents, which we'll get to next time we gather together. And what is the purpose of the parable of the talents? It's not, the issue isn't when he comes back. The issue is, what are you doing in the meantime? And that's what I want to talk to you about real quick. I'm going to make a statement tonight that some of you might say, Jim, I think that goes against everything you've already said. But it doesn't. Stick with me. Don't read what I'm saying. Hear, don't hear what I'm not saying. Jesus is going to come back in your lifetime. I didn't say the rapture is going to happen in your lifetime. I didn't say the second coming of Jesus is going to happen in your lifetime. But if you're a child of God through faith in Jesus Christ, he's coming back in your lifetime. 
Did he not say in John chapter 14, in his father's house, father's house are many rooms, and if it weren't so, I would have told you. I go and prepare a place for you when I come back, and after I prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me where I am. Has anybody ever noticed that on, in this life, some people die quicker than some people thought? And he died at 20 years old. He was so young. Well, Jesus came for that one quicker than that person expected. Were they ready? You ever notice there are some people that live to be long, old people, and they stay in a nursing home, and you hear them say, why am I still here? I thought Jesus would have come and got me by now. Sometimes his return's a little longer than some people think. The issue is not when he's coming back. Oh, please listen. He is coming back. Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away. My words will never pass away. In the book of Revelation, he says four times, these things must take place. It's going to happen. I shared with you before, but I'll remind you of it. Uh, when Becky and I were traveling this summer, I had the privilege of going uh, with her one day in Kentucky to the Ark Encounter. And we walked through the whole Ark Encounter and and then we went from there and, and actually got to hear Ken Ham speak. And then after that, we got some lunch there. They got a wonderful buffet, but it's not a buffet because of COVID at the time. But still, the food was amazing. Then after that, Becky said, look, we've already paid to go. We're here. I don't know if we'll ever get to go back. I want to walk through the ark again. And I'm like, you're free to go do it. But my knee will not like that too much. By the way, if you've not been to the ark and Connor, it's huge. They have rebuilt it to the actual biblical scale of what the Bible says, how big it was. And it's it's big. It's bigger, longer than three football fields. So as she went back in for an hour or so by herself, I sat on a bench outside way away away where I could see the whole ark from stem to stern. And I watched all the people going in and out and all the people that were around. And I sat there and I just was praying. And God spoke to my heart as I sat there. And he said, Jim, I did judge the world one time. And I am going to judge the world again. It's going to happen. And I realized that I have a responsibility and you have a responsibility to tell people it's going to happen. A judgment is coming. Don't be trying to figure it out. We embarrass the Lord when we Christians try to write books on how we know when he's coming back. We don't and we're not to know. But we're to be ready for when he does come. So don't try to figure out the when but be ready for when he comes. Go to 1 Thessalonians again, chapter 5, the passage I said we'd come back to. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, look at verses 1 through 11 again. Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you, for you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. Now, while people are saying there's peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you're all children of the light and children of the day. We're not of the night or of the darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love for a helmet, sorry, faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we're awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. Part of that encouragement is, guys, we're not destined for what's coming on the earth. We're going to be gone before that. 
That's why Jesus said in Revelation 3.10, he said, I'm going to spare you the hour of trial, churches, that's coming on the whole world. Go to 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through 13. 2 Peter chapter 3, starting in verse 1. This is now the second letter. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 1. This is now the second letter that I'm writing to you, beloved. In both of them, I'm stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles, knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. They will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. For they deliberately overlook this fact that the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and through water and by the word of God. And that by the means of these, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. But by the same word, the heavens and the earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, with, with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years is as one day. In other words, he doesn't measure time like we do, so don't try to figure him out. The Lord's not slow to fulfill his promise, as some of you count slowness, but he's patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should re reach repentance. But the day of the Lord, that time period, will come like a thief in the night. Then the heavens will pass away with a roar and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved and the earth and the works that are done in it will be exposed. Now, since all these things are to be thus dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God? Because of which the heavens will then be set on fire and dissolved and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Yeah, the world's going to be saying, yeah, yeah, you Christians, you, you people say that his coming back. Everything says keep on not on going. No, folks, a judgment already came on this earth and it's coming again and it's coming soon. But as you're going to see when we get back together next uh, three weeks from now. Or whenever November 18th, I guess it is. We're going to take a look at the fact that between now and then we would make sure we're ready. Go ahead. Don't you think this pandemic, the way the people all acted about it, is telling how they're going to react? Oh, and the fact that they're like, eh, no big deal kind of a thing? Yeah. I'm sure that's a part of it. And, and uh, somebody slapping a stewardess yep. because she told a man. Had they had to have a mask, yeah. Again, the, mankind doesn't want any authority. Mankind wants to be their own God. We have to be careful ourselves. We, each of us have that problem with our flesh as well. But again, the Bible is really clear that it's just going to keep getting worse and worse until the end. The church at some point is going to be removed. And then that day the Lord is going to come. And when everybody's thinking, hey, everything's going to be okay, everything's all right. Then judgment will come on them, but not us. But I'm going to close tonight. I'm going to let you out early, but I'm going to close tonight with one last passage. Go to Acts chapter 13. Kind of set the stage for where we're going to be when we come back together. Now, Paul is preaching now in Acts 13. And he's trying to illustrate to the Jews that the prophecy from the 
book of Psalms where David wrote that you will not let your Holy One see decay was not referring to David, but was pointing to Jesus. Because he's about to show you here that David died and he was buried and his body decayed. So it couldn't have been referring to David. But Jesus died, as we know, when he rose from the dead three days later and his body didn't see corruption, didn't die, didn't decay. Look at verse 36, though. There's something here. For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, he fell asleep. That's dying. And he was laid with his fathers and saw corruption. In other words, his body decayed. When did David die, according to what Paul says here? When the purpose of God was fulfilled. Exactly. When he had served God's purpose in his own generation, that's when he went. By the way, you do know the Bible says that all the days ordained for each of us were already written in God's book before one of them came to be. You know, Jesus said you can't, by worrying or doing anything, add an hour to your lifespan. There comes a point where God says, Everything that I wanted to accomplish through you is done. And that's when he takes us home. By the way, if you're still breathing, he's not done with you. But at the same time, for years, people have had a real problem with the fact that God would judge the baby that David and Bathsheba made. Remember, remember David did that horrible sin by getting Uriah's wife pregnant and then trying to cover it up by getting him drunk. And then when he wouldn't cover it up, he got him killed. And God comes through the prophet Nathan and says, what you've done is a bad thing. David repents. God says, you're forgiven. But there's going to be a consequence. And the child that you guys made, he's going to die. Now, people are like, why did God punish that child? What did that child do? I'm going to say something to you that I want you to let sink in. The Bible shows us from David's response that that child went to be with the Lord. And the book of Ecclesiastes even says the day of our death is actually better than the day of our birth. I'm tired of talking to Christians around the world and saying, how are you doing? They'll say, at least I'm on this side of the dirt. I always say, the other side's better. The other side's better. Have you ever thought about the fact that that child accomplished everything that God planned to accomplish through the life of that child? God used that child, only lived about a year to turn. He's going to be rewarded for eternity. He was used by God to turn around the heart of the king of Israel. I don't know what God's lifespan is for me. But there comes a point where he says, everything that I wanted to accomplish through you has been accomplished. Or the time period that I gave you to accomplish everything has been accomplished. I want on that day that he gathers his church and I, we all go straight to the judgment seat of Christ to hear him say, well done. So the question when we come back together is not when's he coming back. Hopefully you don't need to deal with an if. He is. The question we're going to look at is, what are you doing in the meantime? Are you doing what he has for you to do? I love you. We'll see you in three weeks.